Deadbeats, it's me, your host, Gabby Dunn, and this is Bad With Money. I often get feedback that this show is anxiety-inducing, and I totally and completely get that. It's not just because we're talking about money. That's enough to make even the strongest stomach among us feel queasy. It's because of the topics surrounding money that we also get into. For example, there's another subject that makes people, I'd say, equally as nervous, and that is death. So as a sadist, I thought, why not combine them? We've talked about death before on this show with Ed and Dranger and Steve Bazalone, who both spoke beautifully about the nightmare financial and bureaucratic aftermath of the deaths of their parents. But in both instances, their parents were sick. Their deaths weren't a huge shock. Chanel Reynolds' story of unexpected loss is different. It's one of my worst anxiety nightmares, and it's probably an anxiety nightmare for you, too. Ten years ago, Chanel was at a barbecue with her son when she got the call the one that we all dread. Her husband, Jose, a healthy man in his 30s, had been hit by a van while on his bicycle. After some time in the hospital in a coma, Jose passed. And Chanel was left with her stepdaughter, her son, and a whole life ahead of her that she thought she'd be sharing with a partner. She couldn't have imagined this reality. She and her husband hadn't planned for it at all. She went from a two-income household to taking time off work and becoming a no-income household. And not only had they not planned for either of their deaths, but they hadn't gotten their financial lives in order. They felt they had time. Most of us probably feel like we have time. Chanel's friends started sharing that her story scared the shit out of them. Her tragedy had the unintended effect of reminding others in her life how vulnerable they really were by not having end-of-life plans in place. It created a ripple as people started to tell her everything they just hadn't done or didn't know how to do financially when it came to death. She also discovered, in the midst of unimaginable grief, that the systems in place for unexpected deaths are beyond broken. So as she learned what to do and what mistakes she'd made, Chanel founded a website called getyourshittogether.org, which is exactly what it sounds like. Her book, What Matters Most, part memoir, part checklist to prepare for death and other emergencies, also came out this year. As I've done this show, I've heard stories of spouses who don't know each other's phone passwords, who've never talked about when to pull the plug, who've never discussed burial versus cremation, Chanel knows better than anyone all the questions you're suddenly bombarded with when your spouse dies, on top of the mountain of grief. Things you've never even considered you'd have to know. And that's what she puts on her website and in her book. A checklist to make sure other grieving people don't have to go through the headaches and heartbreak and panic she did. Ten years ago nearly, not quite, but close to ten years ago, I was over at a friend's barbecue and picked up my phone out of my purse to take a picture of my son who was, you know, doing some weird little breakdance thing, and I thought it was cute and funny. And there were all these uh, missed calls and voicemails from numbers I didn't recognize, and I thought that was weird. And rather than dropping my phone back in the purse, which is what I'd normally do, it seemed weird enough that I should look at it and that was the moment that you got the, you know, you get the phone call that people talk about. It was actually voicemails, but my husband had been riding his bike and all I knew was that he had gotten hit and there was an accident and it was bad and the ambulance took him. And there's a, there's a way that people don't say things, which is actually kind of more informative than the way they do. 
And so that was the moment that basically, you know, my world got yanked out from underneath me. I drove to the hospital, not knowing if he was alive or dead, and spent a week in the hospital, um, you know, going from praying that he would still be alive to wondering if he'd ever wake up to being really worried that he would be stuck in this unrecoverable mostly dead but not 100% dead um situation for who knew how long and so mm-hmm. not only is you know the person you love you know you don't know if he's going to live or die um it became really really clear to me as people were like hi so i'm the social worker do you have your affairs in order talk to me about your life insurance talk to me about your disability insurance um you know the whole time we were there we were you know, a young family and we didn't have a lot of extra money. So I knew that we were bouncing checks while I was at the hospital because he never Mm -hmm. deposited his check. And then, you know, over the months, I suppose, after that, you know, I realized not only do we suck at dying in this world, we're not very good at it. We're not very good at talking about it. Um, Mm -hmm. That week in the hospital, um, keeping a mostly dead guy alive cost you know, over $300,000. I stopped counting once I got to 300000 But then I was like, who's paying for this? How does this work? I do not have $350,000 laying around. And we went from a mm-hmm. two-income family to a non-income family and a fat mortgage that I didn't know how I was going to pay. So, so not only is the story of like, oh, shit, this probably won't happen to you, but it could and what would happen if something happened to... Oh, I think it is yeah. more likely to happen than people realize. Well, totally. Right. And so not only was I like, okay, you know, getting run over by a van isn't something that happens all the time, but it happens pretty frequently. And the other things that come and knock your life sideways are, you know, getting divorced or getting a diagnosis or being seriously Mm -hmm. ill. Or if your parents get seriously ill and you have to take weeks off of work to travel across the country. So there's there are these ways in which you know, I felt like such this, you know, like feminist, badass, you know, can't fuck with me person until I realized mm-hmm. there was just a giant gaping hole in in how I was kind of organizing my stuff. And I was way more vulnerable than I realized. And then all of my friends came up to me, like literally those first days and weeks. And they were terrified for us. But also, I mean, there was like giant eyeballs (laughs) with a lot of fear in their eyes, you know, at the funeral saying, oh, my God, Chanel, we don't have our shit together either. And I'm like, yeah, this is this is bad. This is really bad. Right. I mean, you hear I mean, I hear a lot of like, I don't even know my spouse's passwords or I don't know, you know, I don't know their bank account information. I don't know, you know, all of this stuff because you just don't I think you could you start at the beginning? Like, I think people just go into a, a marriage and they're not they're not, they don't want to think about dying, obviously, but they're not thinking about like being up on what the other person's insurance is or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Is that wh- what have you found? Like, is it just that people are freaked out or what's the holdup? Like, what's what are <laughs> what's, people not? What's the deal? Well, you know that, what I mean? I do. No. And that's kind of the million dollar question because I, I get that yeah. all the time. And there's, you know, certainly this, you know. Our culture, we don't talk about death very freely or openly. Um, so mm-hmm. there's the the denial and the fear part. I also think that we're just busy and overwhelmed and we've got, you know, dozens of emails and passwords and, you know, half of the people can't remember their password to this one thing. So just thinking about 
that is so overwhelming. It's easier to just go, yeesh, I just don't want to think about it. I'll think about it later. Um, right. And then also, you know, I think that things are so fragmented. There's like this giant organizational failure about how how um, this stuff impacts our lives, like our 360 lives. So there's, you know, our, our passwords and stuff. And then, you know, in a whole separate file on a separate email with somebody else you had to talk to, there's your finance stuff and then there's your legal stuff. And so it's already just um, fractured and then trying to piece it together in a way that makes sense for your life. It just, you know, there's not one app for that. And it's hard to appify, you know, like, your personal life and everything all in yeah. one spot. But, um, you know, from those first minutes, literally when I got the call, I was in the car thinking to myself, what do, like, what do I do? Who do I call? How does this work? And so I just mm -hmm. went down my favorites list on my phone and talked to people or left messages saying, hey, it's bad. I'm going to the hospital. And then, you know, I figured at least that was sending up a flare and people yeah. would hopefully see it or not and then gather. And when I got there, they handed me his phone. And the reason why it yeah. had taken a couple of hours to find me, you know, people had to come knock on my door and then knock on neighbors' doors. And the reason why I didn't know sooner is because um, nobody knew the password to his phone. Um, and I didn't either. So I'm at the hospital trying to get into his phone to call some of his family members whose numbers I didn't have. And I couldn't. Right. And I still haven't. We'll be back with Chanel after a quick break. And now let's get back into it with Chanel. I like to say that we had half of our shit together. And it's mostly true. You know, most couples or partners um, kind of split responsibilities. Some people are better that at some things than others. And so he, you know, he had the stuff he was good at and money wasn't them. Like the fact that we're talking about being bad with money, like I have all of my hands raised in the air. We weren't good at it. And it's, it sucked and was hard and strained our relationship for a while. And so some of the things we started to put in place, it was mostly like if we were going to, there was a point, especially after having kids where you're like maxed out 100%. Um, mm -hmm. I was like, if we fight about sex or money one more time, I'm just fucking divorcing you because it's going to be so much easier because <laughs> I can't, right, yeah. can't, can't do it anymore. But um, we didn't have a cute little folder that was like, here's where our stuff is. And so right. that's, that's why I talk about the what ifs, because everyone's got a different what if, you know, somebody's, you know, somebody has a history of, you know, medical issues in their family. They might be really concerned about an emergency savings and disability. If somebody else is like, now nah, we all live to 150 with no problem, um, their concerns might be something else, you know, like saving mm -hmm. enough for a long retirement. So um, the stuff we talked about saved us, um, saved me in a lot of ways. But there were so many things we didn't talk about, you know, like we didn't update our life insurance. We had some, but not enough. So let's say, so when you got to the hospital or in the coming weeks like what are the things that you realized you needed that you didn't have yeah you know it's funny because out of the hundreds or thousands of little things that kept bubbling up and you know like kind of death by a thousand paper cuts they all kind of landed in one of a few categories and that first one is that um that essential stuff, you know, like wrangling the details. Where is our mm -hmm. insurance card? What's the password to your phone? 
what cloud storage has all of the family vacation photos? You know, like, where's the stuff that I need? We didn't have an emergency key sitting outside our house, so nobody could come check on the pets. So there's really just like this first like 24 or 48 hours after shit goes down where you're scrambling to find something that had you just taken a picture of it and uploaded it to a file on your phone that says important shit for when the shit goes down, then you would have it handy. So, so much of it was like not having basic stuff and and not being in a great emotional place to, you know, critical thinking wasn't you know, at the top of oh. my skills list for a then long time. Then is not the time. time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Then is not the time. Then is not the time. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So that all of that, like just the, you know, the the little things are the big things, I like to say. So whether or not we had, you know, the money to have a, a big emergency savings or not, you know, like at that point we didn't. It would have helped, but that just wasn't happening. We could mm-hmm. have taken five seconds to give each other the passwords to our phones, and that would have saved me hours of, like, panic and worry. And, you know, I, I still have his phone. I still haven't been able to get into it. And, you know, it's sitting in a box somewhere, you know, as an out, outdated paperweight at this point. So, so yeah, so, like, save yourself that, like, worry and panic by just thinking about it for the first time. Like, okay, what if something happened? You know, on the West Coast, we're an earthquake zone. A lot of people have earthquake preparedness kits or or think about them or so just having a couple of things for if, you know, something happens and you can't get across town to pick up your partner or your parents or your kids, like mm-hmm. just having having a backup or two. Um, I find that helps me sleep well at night, really, really well at night, even if you're stuck in traffic and you call your neighbor who's got a key and say, oh, hey, can yeah. you go check on the thing? It just, you know, like I spend a lot less time wringing my hands worrying that something is going to go wrong because I kind of know that sometimes things are going to go wrong and you might as well have a couple things in your back pocket for when that happens, you know, kind of that emergency checklist. Yeah. Well, what were what were they asking you for? Like, what were the things that that they were asking you for? And was there any sort of judgment of like, oh, you don't have you don't have this? But first, like, what were the things? Yeah. So in addition to the just, you know, like, where's your insurance card and your social security number and all that, like kind of the intake stuff, there was a lot of questions about, you know, what kind of insurance did we have? Did we have disability insurance? If he if he was going to make it, you know, if he had lived, his injuries were so significant that there would have been it would have been a long, long recovery time and right. medical stuff is expensive. So did like what was what was the whole like what kind of insurance did we have and not have? You know, mm-hmm. had had we been paying those um, monthly payments on time? You know, if you have an account on auto pay and somehow one of your credit cards gets canceled or compromised or something, you got to you want to make sure that the stuff that you think you have is updated and it's, you know, been actually paid for and not canceled. And if right. you're not on top of your mail like I have been in the past you know, you get the little envelopes in the mail and you're like, oh, look, recycling. So you have to, you know, it's good right. to look yeah. at that stuff. And also the legal thing. So in addition to what kind of insurance we have, what which means, you know, like how much ass coverage do you have? There were um, a lot of questions about legal stuff when it came to 
having your affairs in order, which is, you know, such a dorky way to say it, I think. But um, because we were in a life or death situation or a maybe life or death situation at first, there is a power of attorney document that gives somebody else the legal ability to make decisions for you. And so mm-hmm. in, our, in our situation, uh, we were legally married. And so that made it easier for me. But if you have aging parents or, you know, somebody in your family you take care of, or even if something happens and you can't speak for yourself, but you're expected to recover completely, having somebody who can um, pay your bills on time, having somebody who can make medical decisions for you with that power of attorney document was huge. And then there's the two other kind of, of the three, there's thousands of legal documents, right? But when it comes to getting your legal shit together. There's three basic ones that everyone should have. So the power of attorney one I talked about, then the Mm -hmm. end of the more end of life stuff, which is your will, which is where your stuff goes and who you want to give guardianship to your kids or pets or your, you know, ABBA album collection. That's a whole other thing. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back with Chanel. And now we're back. And then there's the end of life plan. So it's called a living will or an advanced care directive. And so when I was sitting there at this family meeting and the doctors were saying that his injuries were unrecoverable, that conversation we would have had and had most of and that piece of paper that I could hand to them to to validate or verify would have said, you know, Jose absolutely would not want to stayed on life support if he wasn't if he was in a coma and wasn't ever going to be able to wake up. Like I knew that to be true. Right. But our situation was a lot more black and white, I'd say, than many uh, mm-hmm. medical situations are. So you knew, I mean, just from talking to him and knowing him, you knew this, but but mm-hmm. there was no document of like this is what Jose would want. Well, the fun thing about all this legal stuff was um you know, I, I had thought I was super embarrassed and ashamed that I was I didn't have this stuff with me because I realized halfway through the process and halfway through that week at the hospital that this was serious enough that they're asking me for these. And they said, you know, do you have your legal stuff, your affairs in order? And my answer was, yeah. Oh, yeah, we did. We did our wills, which we did. We did our power of attorney and we did our you know, our living will, our end of life wishes, but they were sitting in my inbox, not printed out or signed, which made them completely oh. invalid. So we did them, but we didn't finish them. So, yeah. So, you know, it's that like, it's that last 10% that really matters. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's stuff where like life gets in the way where you're like, yeah, yeah, it's in my inbox. Yeah. And so that made me feel good about that. We'd gotten that far. And then all we had to do was just sign them. Um, but we hadn't and they'd been in there for months. So we'd had the conversation. And mm-hmm. looking back now, I'd say that we could have had a lot more specific conversation, um, you know, like uh, talking about what quality of life really means to you. So someone can advocate for you. And you may, mm-hmm. you know, you may not be legally married or you may want somebody else, frankly, to be your medical power of attorney than your spouse. Um, right. Because... You know, I, I, I kind of, you know, I, I think of myself as this, you know, strong baseline kind of diesel engine, suck it up person who can handle everything. But, you know, I was also 
not in a good spot and trying to tell my friend to call somebody to let them know that my son wouldn't be able to make it to their birthday party. And she's like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, exactly. Well, and also like, you know, then you have to make the decision like, OK, we're going to take him off life support. And like, it's almost like it's not like who's closest to you. It's like who who can actually make that choice? Yeah. Who's going to be the one who I mean, you've, you've got all of your feelings. Right. And whoever you pick, it's probably somebody who's close to you and you trust. Right. So they're going to yes. be sad and emotionally distraught. And they're most likely, you know, and, you know, unless you've lived a long life to 147 and mm -hmm. it's, you know, your time and there's peace about it. We you know, I didn't want him to die, but um, right. I didn't have a choice in that matter. But you do want to pick somebody who, who very well could be your spouse, but also someone who's like, OK, I had this conversation with this person and my job here. Yeah. What they've asked me to do is is um, follow the instructions that you've given to me and convey those to the people, the medical folks in charge. It's not to um, be so upset about Make what you wish decision. would be true. Yeah, yes. it's not. It's not. Yes. It shouldn't be you. It re ideally, it shouldn't be you guessing what the person wants and making the decision for them. It's you saying, "Hey, I have this, this is piece what they of, want. Yeah, I have this piece of paper that documents this conversation we had, and quality of life is, you know, looks like yes. this, and it doesn't look like this. Um, and then that yes. gives you the person who's doing this, you know, hard task and this amazing gift." Like, you don't want to spend the rest of your life worrying or wondering if you guessed right. Like, you uh -huh. want to be able to say, you know, like... I knew. I, I knew and I did the best I could to carry out this person's wishes. Not like, fuck, I didn't know what to do, so I just made it up. Like, that's, yeah. that's not something I have to live with, nor is it something that I would want anyone to have to live with. Right. Yeah. And so that's the type of stuff that uh, that often ends up happening because there aren't, you know, there aren't specifics outlined. Um so so let's go back. So so what is a will and like who should have one? Yeah. So a will is the what happens to your stuff? Um your money, mm -hmm. your kids, your home, your debt. Um it's called a will or a last will and testament. And I think anybody and everybody should have one. A lot of folks will say, you know, like, well, I don't have any stuff. I don't have kids. I don't own a home. But you probably have, you have stuff. You've got a car. You've got a bank account. You've got an apartment. You've got, yeah. you know, probably, you know, some things. And somebody is going to need to be able to come and and take care of that stuff for you. And it may not be your dog, your, your dog, cat. your cat. Yeah. If you have kids, if you have um you know, some family heirlooms or something that's mm -hmm. important to you. Like if your favorite leather jacket, you really want one specific person to get that, like that's a really meaningful thing to be able to write down and and make sure happens. So, yeah. So I think people, I think everybody should have one. And even if you're in your 20s and you're broke and you don't have a lot of stuff and you don't have hamsters or any pets at all, it's still really worth it to say, hey, you know, even if you've got a paycheck coming, that's money that can go to somebody. And that's yeah. also, um, you know, if if nobody knows what to do with your stuff, somebody is going to go through it and and maybe 
find things you don't want them to find or maybe never find oh. the things that you would want them to find, right? Chanel, I read your book and like <laughs> the first thing that I did was I I texted my friend Alexis and I was like, if I die, I need you to smash my phone in my computer. <laughs> and best. she was like, but you're a writer. Like, don't you want like people to posthumously? And I was like, no, no, I don't want them to publish anything that I haven't pu- decided to publish myself. Please take my phone and my computer and just... I'm not, and I was like, and I don't mean throw them off like a, into the water and like, I need you to throw them in the water, burn it, (laughs) hit it with a bat, like all of that. It's got to be done. Um, I love it. But that was literally from reading your book. I did that. I love that. Well, and that's perfect, right? Because like, I don't know that your friend would have guessed that she might have, or, you know, she or he might have said like, maybe, maybe Gabby wants, you know, all of her unpublished first shitty drafts out there in the world for everyone to see. And you'd be like screaming from wherever you went next, like, oh, my God, no, don't do that. Right. So we don't we don't we don't know these things. You know, Um, I have some specific wishes there. There are some things that I want just one or two people to find, to be honest. And, you know, some other things I want to go to folks and um and people aren't really going to be able to guess. People really aren't going to be able to, to guess. And, um, you know, I've heard so many stories from people who are like, OK, you know, my parents died or and then I, you know, or or something happened and I ha- went to their house and it took three weeks to go through all of the stuff. And I had to get a, you know, a moving vans full of things and I didn't know what to do mm-hmm. with the, you know, silver collections or I didn't know what to do with their boxes of, you know, like yogurt containers that they'd saved. Like it can be this hugely overwhelming, hugely overwhelming thing. Um, So and when someone dies, you feel like every my grandmother passed away in in June and you feel like everything in their house is all of a sudden has so much meaning. So like I, you know, I my parents just didn't know what to do. So they started shipping like clothes and random stuff to me and my sister just to be like, I don't know. Do you guys want these? And so but then you feel like a piece of shit if you throw anything away. So then you just end. So then I just had a bunch of her clothes that I was never going to wear. But I was like, well, I can't get rid of it. It belonged to Maymay. And it's like you. Yes, you can. But like there was no you know, it was just so much stuff. You don't realize how much stuff a person has. I think you talk about in the book, right? Mm -hmm. Like he you just had all of Jose's stuff. Like, what do you do? Right. Well, you know, because as people you know, we don't like to talk about death in this country. Um, we often suck at it. Um, and th- there, yeah. you know, as you get older, there's still this kind of, you know, not always super proactive, open conversation. You know, when when people are grandparents and they, you know, are, are at least of retirement or getting elderly, it's we don't like to talk about it. It's not really a surprise at some point that everyone yeah. dies, but it still feels like a surprise and it still feels too soon. So um, there's just there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff. So I do talk in the book a lot about, um, you know, the my personal experience of, you know, us having lived in this house and it was a immediate catastrophic accident and surprise. You know, we were. Yes, that is a true surprise. It's super, super surprise. And so. I didn't, you know, know whether to, you know, I, I, I didn't know what to do either. So part of me was, you know, like box up all of his stuff and get it out of here. And the other part was like unable to open or touch his 
sock drawer. And so right. there's like, do you preserve things? And is are, are the things the memory? And is that how we continue to feel connected mm-hmm. to the people in our lives? Or at some point, are you just like, I kind of want that drawer space. <laughs> so I'm going yeah. to donate all so of the talk socks. About- yeah. You talk about like moving out of the house and stuff like you. I think you people also have this idea of like building what their life is going to be and then realizing like you, you know, you were like, okay, I can't afford this to live here. And like, you know, and then Mm -hmm. it's like, well, am I leaving the house that we had built together? Like there's all this. It's the perfect marriage of money and emotions like Mm -hmm. together. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's really hard to know because I we hadn't thought through like we hadn't really I hadn't done the what if scenarios in my head like what happens if you know right. we, we can't afford this or what happens if this or what happens if that and so not only is this this crazy emotional time I had to kind of scramble to figure out what my financial situation was what I was mm-hmm. responsible for paying or not paying and then kind of like what I had and what I could do with and having some life insurance gave me some options we had nowhere near what the recommended amount was, um, which is. Yeah. So what did you. Yeah. So what did you have for life insurance? And then what what should you have had? Yeah. So we first got life insurance when we got our first house and um, and our first child was born. And it was a couple hundred thousand dollars, which was mm-hmm. enough to pay off the old house. And, um, you know, it was just it was it was a baseline and a couple hundred thousand dollars, depending on who you are, is a fortune or to other people like you know half of their annual salary and i'll just say whether you've got ten dollars or ten million in your bank account you know not being prepared really really sucks and not knowing what you can do really really sucks i won't pretend that also going bankrupt and having to lose your house isn't awful and hopefully doesn't yeah. happen as much as possible um but it really sucks so we had we had then moved and gotten a bigger home and our expenses got bigger. And we were at that point in our lives counting on being a two income family. And so right. the amount of life insurance that we had wasn't enough to pay off the house. And it was enough for me to buy some time to give myself a year or so to actually put money away in an emergency fund. So if anything bad ever happened again, I wouldn't find myself with, you know, like no money and needing to live off. Oh, God. But of it was others. like, I yeah. see. Yeah. 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 So with Cause how do you sorry to just. OK, no. So like for life insurance, like like how did they judge what you should get? And like, how do you get how do you get it? Yeah. So life insurance is a lot like uh, auto insurance, right? Like you pick yeah. how much coverage you want. And they say that much coverage costs you this much money. And then Mm -hmm. you pay that amount every month. And this is for like term insurance. This is like the basic protecting against disaster. And so Mm -hmm. if you if you buy a policy, let's say, you know, you're a 30 year old healthy person, you buy a term life policy, which goes for um, it'll cover you for 10 or 20 or 30 years, whatever you decide to pick. You can pick something for 10 or twenty five thousand dollars that will cost you maybe a couple dollars, five bucks a month. And that would be enough to cover your best friend or somebody having to, you know, flying out if something happened to you and taking care of your stuff and paying for your funeral costs, you know, because, you know, most people don't know how much a funeral costs. And 
on the national average, it's about $8,000. And a lot of folks yeah. don't have a grand laying around to be like, oh, sure, let me just pick out a casket for you and drop 5000 for that. Like, nobody can do bonkers. that. Bonkers. Yeah. yeah, someone was like, that's the biggest scam. <laughs> that's the <laughs> biggest scam, we had scam, on season right? one was like, cat coffins are the biggest scam going. <laughs> yeah, like you can get an Ikea cardboard box if you want. And that you can, you they're natural. There are plenty of different things you can do. But if you hadn't thought about it before and you're like, yeah, oh, crap, I got to go, you know, figure out and everything feels rushed. And they're like, OK, here's a handout and pick out a funeral home. I'm like, I what? Um, what? OK, so, here's twelve thousand dollars. I don't know. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I hadn't thought about this before. Um, so everything is just uh, rushed and yeah. I, and you don't really know what your options are. And I knew what some were. I knew we wanted to be cremated. So. Yeah, that doesn't cost as much. And that's what he wanted. Yes. So we figured it out. But um, but yeah, so for the the life insurance, having some of that and the reason why you have it is it's not a savings account. Right. It's like it's insurance you pay that you kind of hope you never have to use. Right. Like mm -hmm. car insurance. You don't have any accidents. But, you know, in case you did, you'd be really glad that you had it. And, you know, yeah. you, have to, you have to have auto insurance. So with life insurance, you pay five bucks for, you know, a 10 or $25,000 policy, you'd pay 25 bucks. And this is just super range. This is a range yeah. for maybe a $250,000 policy. But the recommendation is, especially if you live in a situation where someone's counting on your income or if your income went away, mm -hmm. that would be really, really bad. Um, mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people don't have an emergency fund laying around to cover um, I would say most for, people. Most people don't. Yeah. In fact, last May, there was the report that came out that, you know, 40 percent of um, adults in America can't come up with four hundred dollars in cash to cover an emergency expense. So, yep. so yep. Wh while we don't want to admit we're leaving paycheck to paycheck, he and I were, you know, we were we mm -hmm. were kind of redlining our finances, you know, knowing that or hoping that if nothing went wrong, everything would work out but something did go wrong and it didn't work out yeah people i think tend to say well it'll work out i mean it's also hard to convince like someone to be like yeah just pay another insurance you know what i mean right i mean it it's kind like of, so yeah. hard it's yes it's not a very exciting thing to say you know to like <laughs> plan for 50 bucks a month going into an insurance because if something were to happen to you that you know your family, your parents, your kids, your spouse, your partner, like life would come to a grinding halt and things would really suck for them. It's it's not an exciting way to spend your money. And no. for me, being a parent um, or for other people, you know, it it can offer some protection. And I'm not trust me, I'm not trying to sell anyone insurance, but I will say, yeah, for our particular situation, it saved my butt. And for many, many other people, a little bit of money to know that if something terrible happened, everything else wouldn't fall apart, too. Like that, that can be not the f your favorite way of spending 25 or 50 bucks or more, depending on how much you're comfortable with. But it makes mm -hmm. me feel better knowing that if something happens to me, my kid's fine. And yeah. And that's important. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just preparing for I think like anything in the future that you are just you are prepared for life to be a certain way. It's almost 
never going to be that way. And I don't, and not just the way that you're talking about, but like, you know, I've had people on this show and obviously like my own self and friends and stuff where it's like huge breakups, divorce, like sickness, anything like Uh there's just, it's so how easily and how fragile everything is and how easily everything can just change and fall apart is so like indicative, like it's just what your book is about. Basically. It's like, so a thing that people don't realize you're like one, some one random thing away from like the craziest money situation that you could possibly imagine that you're like not even remotely prepared to think about or like what happened with the, what happened with the medical debt? Yeah. So, um, God, that was fun. Uh, you know, I was trying to figure out, you know, like how to put on pants and talk to my kid about, you know, the fact that his dad died and, you know, I had a stepdaughter and talk to her and just, yeah. you know, make sure that, you know, the universe didn't fly apart any more than it already had. And the medical bills started coming. I, I started to measure them actually in inches instead of letters because <laughs> there was a stack of them. And I, at first I'm like, you know, I'm going to get organized and file things and get a three ring binder. But the three ring binder just kept, you know, falling onto the floor because there were so many bills. I also so. feel like, look, man, if they died, then I don't have to pay you. <laughs> like that's oh, how right, I feel. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so th- we had health insurance through his work, um, and it was mm. a, it was pretty good because it was a automotive accident he was on his bicycle and a Mm -hmm. van hit him then there was also our insurance that got dragged into it kind of like our auto and personal injury protection insurance plus the driver's insurance so there was definitely like a number of calls to insurance people and they didn't start calling right away they were respectful enough but um a few weeks later you know the letters were piling up and I had to call people back and send in death certificates or marriage certificates or all these other proof of something. Um, right. And so I ended up asking a friend who was good with that kind of thing to help me because each insurance company, of course, wanted the other insurance company to pay for it, the whatever first. And so I ended up, so on your insurance um, when you when you pick whatever health insurance you want or you're, you know, said given the insurance mm-hmm. option that you have, there's um, your deductible and then there's your monthly payment. But there's another thing called the annual out of pocket maximum, which I had never paid attention to before. But that's mm-hmm. that's if something big and catastrophic happens, like um, a big surgery or mm-hmm. um, an illness and you need chemo or a death happens, um, your maximum out of pocket, that's that's the most you'll have to pay. Um, so that was $10,000. And so I was responsible for paying $10,000 of the $300,000, $350,000. And then different insurances paid for the rest, but it was a pain in the ass. And I had to yeah. have somebody who was, an, you know, a friend who's an attorney, not a medical debt attorney, but somebody else kind of respond back with the appropriate language to 
mm-hmm. stop fucking with me and and for those guys to figure it out because you know there's something called subrogation and then the insurance whatever investigators on the phone ma'am i'm so sorry if you're lost but let me talk to you about the process and i'm like i don't want to talk to you about the process what who are you even you know this seems so like this is such a insult to injury like do you know what i mean like this is such a like crazy thing that like you you are dealing with a tragedy Mm -hmm. that is unexpected and then everything is sort of built to be like unless you've prepared entirely for it or unless you're very privileged or unless you're in the best possible scenario I mean it's I can see a world even like for myself where especially for myself because I don't have any money where it's like (laughs) you just are like well now you're screwed the Pretty end. much, yeah. Like, where there's no way out of it. Yeah, yeah. Like, sorry you got cancer, you're going to go bankrupt. Or sorry your husband got run over by a van, you're you're totally fucked now, you know? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And by like the way... Like the extenuating yeah. circumstances... Right, and not only are, are you not fucked taken now, into account. Yeah, you have to spend, if I mean, dozens of hours, if you're lucky, but hundreds of hours on the phone figuring out who wants what piece of paperwork and you have to file mm-hmm. it and then you have to pay, you know, 20 or 25 bucks per certified death certificate and send that to them. And so there is this cattle shoot of a system where I had to go through all of these steps. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, experiencing this huge loss, you know, that still impacts our family. Um mm-hmm. But but the part where I was like, wait a minute, everyone, like I am a, you know, Caucasian, English speaking, legally married college educator, college educated, not an educator. Yeah. Let's, let's be clear. That's a bad, a bad profession for me <laughs> and everyone. Um, but, you know, and I was a, a project manager, for God's sake, and I didn't have my shit together and we didn't have a lot of resources, but we had enough resources and we knew better and still we didn't, you know? And so all of the ways in which I realized that I was in a spot where I was totally, totally and completely screwed. And saying that, I I knew that I would be able to figure it out, that I was going to be set up better than a lot of people to be able to slowly but eventually dig myself out of this hole. And yeah, and I did. And one of the reasons why I wrote this book and one of the reasons why it hit me so hard was, you know, walking around through the ER and the ICU, seeing so many people who didn't have anyone there or families sleeping in the lobby or folks struggling with mental health issues that were never going to get the care that they needed. You know, it was it was it was so overwhelming to me that, you know, the, the optional suffering that goes along with the kind of suffering that we just can't brush off. Like people we know are going to get sick or ill. Things are going to get hard. Mm -hmm. You know, like marriages will last or not. Marriages, you know, like we're going to we're going to feel sad and sometimes we're going to feel destroyed. And Mm -hmm. that's part of the, you know, what some would argue is the gift of being human. But while all of that is happening, there's so much optional suffering that gets packed on top of feeling yes ruined anyway like there were moments where like i would just go lay down in the closet and sh- howl and try to shove sweaters in my mouth so my 
kid didn't hear me, right? Like there were moments mm-hmm. where I was like, I don't know, I don't know how people can make it through this when they when when they aren't when they when they don't have the you know the resources to do it. And and my fear is a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't crawl crawl out of that hole. And you of know, course, yeah, yeah. Because we we just add. I mean, even when you were talking about the twenty five dollars for the the death certificate here, death certificate there, whatever, like. It's adding up. Like I'm wondering, do you even do you know how much you ended up spending in the wake of of Jose's death? Like how much all of this actually cost you? Yeah, I mean, there's ways that there's there's different ways to measure it, but I mean, you know, the the funeral cost uh, probably about ten grand. The medical expenses cost about ten grand. The therapy cost a lot of money, right? Like one wouldn't say that, you know, nobody was calling me saying, you know, who are you going to have come pick up the body about therapy? But that was required. I would say the extra insurance I bought with his life insurance money felt to me for a while required, you know, and I had to sell the house. I decided to sell the house because it was too expensive. Um, and I sold it at a loss because yep. that was when, you know, uh, most people's houses were underwater. So it ended up costing me, like I can say, quite literally, specifically, at least $25,000. And yeah. I can say over the course of time, it's cost a lot more than that. That's what I, yeah, in in the immediate wake, 25000 but over the course of time and the loss on the house and everything like that, way, way more. Yeah, I, definitely. You know, like, and I, I think paying for good therapy should be high on the high on the list of of required costs. You know that that goes into your if you're budgeting and you, you know, fifty, thirty, twenty, or something. That's part of your financial responsibilities, <laughs> not off, of course, not optional. But, <laughs> no, of course, but like, it shouldn't. It's just so wild to me, and that was like a thing of reading your book too. Like that somebody dies. And then and then it's basically destroys the financial situation of the people around around them. (laughs) Like, yeah, that like from what you've witnessed, what are some things that like people listening? Like what's three things people listening should do? And then after this, I'm going to get political for a second. But Mm -hmm. what's like three things that people listening should do? And then, of course, get your book is the fourth one. But what's the (laughs) what are the three um, I think having, first of all, just some kind of emergency planning in place, right? So like if something goes down that first 24 or 48 hours, you're not losing your mind. You're like, okay, now I get on the plane and fly to my parents and I have a credit card. So kind of what if scenario eyes, like if, if you had to put your life on pause completely for a day mm-hmm. or two, what are some things you can do to make that doable and not mm-hmm. make you freaking out that, you know, like your pet is peeing and pooing all over the house and eating the couch because nobody's checked in on it for 24 hours? Or you've got some backup uh, drivers who can pick up your kids or you have a, you know, an Uber app on your phone and your elderly parents. So if something happens and you can't get to them, they can get to somewhere. So just kind of yeah. scenarioize like what your life looks like. And if something were to happen, you know, some backup phone numbers, emergency key, just to make sure that um, you you don't totally go insane if if and when something happens. And so you can get to where you need to be next safely. Um, driving across town, calling people on my favorites list, trying to make it to the hospital. 
um, that wasn't a safe driving experience <laughs> for me. Like, yeah. You know, I'm I'm a good driver and all of that. But like I, I just went into freak out mode um, mm-hmm. rather than knowing, OK, something happened. And I've thought through what would happen if something happens. Um, the second thing is. I think, you know, financially, we're all really, really vulnerable in, in, in some ways. And if you're not, then congratulations. You gold star yourself to no. the top of the list. But we all really yeah, are. Yeah, the people listening to this are fine, are not. Yeah. No, you're speaking to the right crowd. <laughs> yeah. Well, and yeah. And so if I know it's really hard to get an emergency fund set up, you know, six months or more of expenses is what people recommend. And and it's a it's great for anyone who can do that. Most people cannot, you know, especially if you're paying down school loans or debt or you're just trying to make rent. It's really, really hard to do that. But if mm-hmm. you can have some kind of backup plan, even if it's not like a super buff savings account, maybe get a credit card that you um, that has a low amount of coverage on it, just so if something really, really, really happens, you can get a plane ticket somewhere. Um, I have one credit card I never use. I got it in the mail and I yeah. wrote down the number in my like secret files and I cut it up so I wouldn't use it. But oh. but it, it makes me feel better knowing that if I'm screwed, like I can yeah. actually charge something if I have to. And that's kind of like last resort stuff. Um, but, you know, or organizing my money so the stuff that was important to me came first. Um, even if I don't have all of the options or all of the things, um, even if it's, you know, like shifting a little bit of, you know, how you might spend the extra that you have, but just setting yourself up for a couple of options. And, and if your emergency fund is a day long or a month long, um, having mm-hmm. something I think is really important. So, you know, if, if one thing falls apart or falls down, everything mm-hmm. else doesn't fall apart too. Yeah. And even what you were talking about, like just knowing if the if the payments are going through on stuff. Like a sim- similarly, there I had a friend on uh, another episode of this show who she didn't realize she had uh, liver tumors and she didn't realize until she went in to get them removed that um, her insurance had lapsed because oh, she just it, ha- it the card that it had been on or whatever. She just hadn't been checking up on it. Mm-hmm. So like when you mentioned like, you know, making sure that the payments were going through and stuff on your life insurance so you weren't sure uh, if they were or not, like that's huge. It's super huge. And, you know, honestly, I was standing there th- in the hospital, not knowing if he was going to live or die. I didn't know if we had disability insurance or not, whether he'd check the, right. the box. Um, and I had been like, I hope none of the payments bounced over the last five years. I right. haven't been checking. Yeah. So right. um, I think you're I use a, one of those kind of like online free things. I use mint.com because I like it and I've been using it for 10 years and I don't want to switch, but it's it's a free way for me to look at my money and see what charges happen and what don't happen. And you can mm-hmm. set up alerts for yourself. So there's a lot of other ones out there. A lot of them are free. So I use that so I can every few months or so take a look and see even if it's like, oh, crap, some charge got um re-added to my cell phone bill and I didn't approve yeah. that. So I don't want to be spending that 14 bucks a month for international, whatever. Right. Or um, do I really need to pay for 
Hulu and Netflix. Like, can I pick one and save 10 <laughs> bucks a month? Like Spotify, you, Hulu comes with Spotify now, right, guys. I know. Very so exciting go. time for everybody. <laughs> I got I got the email and I was super, super jazzed Everybody got that. that email. Right. I was jazzed. So, yeah. So, I mean, those are the those are the things that I that I pay attention to. And and I'm not on top of it all the time. But I if I can scan, you know, my you know, yeah. a laptop or my phone every now and then just to make sure that what's supposed to be getting paid for is paid for and there isn't any surprise stuff because there's surprise stuff. People get things yeah. wrong, you know, and you get charged yeah. for things that you shouldn't. And the last thing I was going to say, and one of one of the reasons why I do that um, is because I try to protect my credit score like my life depends on it. Um, when stuff doesn't get paid, like there's a pretty immediate impact. You know, a, a number of years ago, I let some parking tickets slide and I swear some like blockbuster video I never returned from forever ago. Sure. Like that stayed on my credit for seven years and screwed me over. What I could have done, even if I couldn't have paid the parking tickets then, was call the office or call the blockbuster or call whoever and try to make some kind of deal. You can usually right. at least eke some more time out of making the payment before they'll um, report you or before your credit score gets dinged. But, um, you know, I've I've made a lot of phone calls and just said, hey, I'm in a bad spot right now. This just happened or my husband just happened or, you know, whatever your situation is. Oh, it's is, like please. a time is yeah. money situation. Yeah. You were talking about like how much time, how much money you lost on on Jose's death. But it's like how much time, you know, like it's like the time is money aspect of like how much time you're spending filling out this paperwork, finding a lawyer for this, uh, finding this document, how much time you're spending in therapy, how much time you're spending being like. I mean, I've definitely had super traumatic things happen and then I go right back to work. And sometimes mm -hmm. that's like helps people. I would argue for me and maybe it was like slightly unhealthy to do that because you end up being like, why am I crying four years later? Uh, but like, <laughs> right. Yeah, but I like had, right. I used to have like, you know what the, I mean? yeah, the conference room at my office. That was my favorite cry spot. Right. Like because. Right. But yeah. sometimes you don't have a choice. Like you just sometimes you don't have the the life insurance or anything to like be, you know, like able to take the time off so it's just but then you know a lot of times I would just end up being like well I'm not working right now and I don't have any money and here we go so so yeah so I mean it's it's hard with anxiety because you just go like well I you know something's you know maybe nothing will happen or people go well you know maybe nothing will happen to me but like then I go like oh but but won't it you know running through all the scenarios is such a hard thing to to do oh Totally. And, you know, trust me when I say, you know, like it probably won't happen. That's me doing my mantra to help me get through the day. Right. Like I know yeah. shit can go wrong. Bad things do happen every day to someone, you know, and I'm, I'm certainly not trying to do the bargaining, rolling the dice that like probably not ever again because something bad already happened. But, you know, I, I do know that stuff can very likely go wrong and it helps me sleep well at night and not wring my hands and be paralyzed about you know, not having my kids 10 feet away from me, you know, for the rest of my life by knowing that, you know, in in this world where there is so much that we can't control, mm -hmm. we we can take care of the things we can change. And that that helps me a lot. Thank you so much. Um, where can people find you? You can find me at getyourshittogether.org and on just.com. 
Even if you're single or think you don't have anything of value to leave after you die, you still need to be prepared in ways you probably don't even realize. Chanel's story is one we should listen to. We need to take the blinders off when it comes to both death and money. We need to at least have these conversations with those close to us to prepare ourselves. Pretending it's not going to happen is not going to stop it from happening. And look, I'm someone who likes to whisper to my dog that he's immortal to avoid thinking about his mortality. So you can imagine where I'm at with this. But I have to do it. It's not just for ourselves, but for those we could leave behind. Bad With Money is a production of Stitcher. Our show is produced and edited by Melissa Yeager-Miller and sound engineered and mixed by Brendan Burns. Our associate producer is Kristen Torres and our supervising producer is Josephine Martirana. Our executive producer is Chris Bannon. Our theme song is performed by Sam Barbera and was written by Mike Kaplan, Zach Sherwin, and Jack Dolgen. And I'm Gabby Dunn, and hopefully I'll see you next week. <laughs>